Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Good morning, church. We will have our scripture reading this morning. Our scripture is from Psalm 34. Psalm 34. If you're using the Pew Bible, today's scripture is on page 463. That's on page 463. And our scripture reading is from the English Standard Version. So if you're using electronic devices and you have multiple versions that you can pursue, this morning's version will be read from the English Standard Version. Pew Bible, page 463. And it reads as follows. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O oh children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of all of them. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. This is the Lord's word. May the Lord add a blessing to the readers, listeners, and doers of his holy words. Amen. There we go. We're in the book of Psalms for these next couple weeks. Are you in the book of Psalms? Let me just encourage you pastorally. Be in the book of Psalms once in a while. The Psalms is meant to be our prayer book, our song book, our meditation book. Be in the book of Psalms. If you're, if you're kind of floundering right now, like, what should I read in the Bible? Obviously, the whole Bible's great, but the, the book of Psalms, I don't know about you guys, but um, it has been a close friend to my heart. Obviously, the Lord is the close friend who speaks to us through these Psalms. We're focusing on psalms of hope and encouragement over these next few weeks. Uh, last week, 
and uh, these next couple weeks coming up. And so we want to uh, be able to walk out of here on Sunday mornings understanding the hope that we have in the Lord. Today's sermon, Living in the Hope of Deliverance. Have you ever, have you ever been in a spot where there were no good options? Like, like door A, a mess. Door B, a mess. Anybody, anybody testify? Can anybody say, like, I, I've been in those spots where it didn't matter what I did, it wasn't going to be good. That's the spot David is in when he writes this. The little intro at the beginning, you can see it says, of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. This is, this is a story from 1 Samuel chapter 21. David let me catch you up. David is the shepherd boy, and King Saul is the king of Israel, and King Saul is a mess. King Saul has lost the favor of the Lord because he hasn't worshipped the Lord. He hasn't obeyed the Lord. And so God handpicks the next king literally out of the sheep pasture, David. You guys might remember the story. Samuel's looking for the new king, all the sons of Jesse... Well, I got one more, scrawny David out there watching sheep. Get him. David comes in. This is him. The Lord looks on the heart, y'all. The Lord looks on the heart. So he anoints David on the spot, the oil running down David. He is God's anointed. He is the new covenant king of Israel. And yet for the next few years, he will be in and out of the favor of Saul, and eventually he will be fugitive number one, where Saul is trying to kill him. That's where this psalm comes from. David is on the run from Saul, and he makes this choice to actually run to the city of Gath, which is the hometown of Goliath, who David killed. And so David goes to Gath. He's hanging out with the Philistines. The king of Gath, Abimelech or Achish, the people say to him, hey, isn't that's David. You're letting David stay here? Don't they sing songs about this guy? Saul has killed his thousands and David is tens of thousands. And then Achish is like, yeah, you're right. Why am I an idiot? Why am I letting this guy live here with us? So David, to get out of the situation, pretends to be insane. The Bible says he's, he, he loses his mind. He drools down his beard. And we get one of the greatest lines in all the Bible where Abimelech says, don't I have enough madmen in this city? Do I need another one? <laughs> and, he, and David's out. It's from that situation in David's life. He can't go home because Saul will get him. And he can't, go, he can't go to the enemy of his enemy because now they want to get him. And David is literally going to live in the woods for the next several months, without a physical refuge, without a good option in front of him. Remember, again, remember, David is already anointed. He's already living in the promise of God. He, God has told him, you are going to be the king. God has promised that to him, and yet he's not living like a king. 
In the passage right before, David has to go to the tabernacle and ask the priest for bread, and the priest is like, well, we got the holy bread, and he gives it to David. David is literally a beggar in the house of God, begging for the holy bread because he's starving to death. Christian, have you ever felt this way? Did you come in this morning a beggar? Did you walk into this room with, when, when I exit this place this morning on Sunday afternoon, tomorrow morning, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I got no good options, I got no good recourse, I'm walking into this room a beggar in the house of God. Is that how you walked in? I hope so. I hope so. It's not a bad place to be. We tend to, if I can, if I can um, you know, kind of extrapolate this out, if you'll allow me to do that, to, we tend to, in our lives, when our, when, in, our, in our lives, we tend to run to our past or we run to our future for hope and comfort, don't we? We let our present be determined by our past or our future. But these let us down, don't they? Most of the time when we think about our pasts, the guilt comes in, the shame comes in, so we don't get a lot of comfort there. And when we think about the future, we don't know the future, do we? And so it's all just we're just kind of spitballing it, like, I hope this happens, I want to get there, I'm setting goals, but who knows? And maybe some of us are sitting here this, this morning saying, my, my future holds no hope. And so, that impacts our present. David was able to look back on his past I was watching sheep, and this, this old bearded guy came and got me, and he poured oil on me. And he could look to his future. God, imagine if you knew you were going to be, a guy's trying to kill you and keep you from being king, and, but God has promised you you're going to be the king. How, how does that impact your day-to-day present? If you, if you look at your past and it's secure, and you look at your future and it's promised, your present's a mess outside of you, but what might that do to your heart inside of you? Might you be able to pen the words David pens in Psalm 34? And so we're going to look at Psalm 34. I'm going to start on the back half of the psalm, and then I'm going to take us back to the front half of the psalm, Okay. So we're going to start on the back half and then move to the front half. So number one, if Jesus was delivered from all fear and trouble, then you will be too. That's the first point. If Jesus was delivered from all fear and trouble, then you will be too. And immediately you're saying, Brady, how'd you get to Jesus? There's not Jesus in here. Well, actually, (laughs) he is in here. Okay, so here's David's message in the psalm. Here's what David's trying to say through this song. He's saying, the Lord delivered me and he will deliver you. That's the point of the psalm. 
So in, in verses 4 through 7, David, the, the Lord, I sought the Lord. He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. God delivered me. And then in the back half of the psalm, verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ear toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Verse 17, when the righteous cry out, the Lord hears and delivers them. Do you see it? The Lord delivered me, the Lord will deliver you. That's what he's saying. The Lord delivered me, the Lord will deliver you. And there's even more layers to this. This psalm is littered with Exodus language. So in David's, in David's heart, he's saying, why, did, why will God deliver me? Oh, because he delivered Israel out of Egypt. God delivered Israel. Israel cried out to the Lord. The, the Egyptians were defeated. Israel was led out by the Lord out of Egypt. Israel experienced, verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamping around them as the glory of God. And so now I, King David, I will, well, soon to be King David, will experience the deliverance of the Lord. How does David know? How can David say this with such confidence? Because God has anointed him and made a promise to him. He's not making this up. It's not word of faith. He's not saying, if I believe hard enough, God will deliver me. No, God's already said, I'm going to deliver you. You're going to sit on a throne, David. But wait, I'm living in the woods. I'm, li I'm literally living in caves, God. Yeah, but one day you're going to be on a throne. Okay. Be patient. Well, when? How long? I'm not telling you that. I'm not telling you that but you're going to be on a throne. Now, does this sound familiar, Christian? Here's Jesus' message to us. It's the same exact message. The Lord delivered me, and the Lord will deliver you. See, David's just a picture of the greater king. David's, David's a type of Christ. David, this incident with David reminds us of us and our relationship to our anointed king, King Jesus. But you see, with Jesus, there's a plot twist. Look at verse 15. Let's walk through the life of Jesus, looking at Psalm 34, verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and His ears toward their cry. Okay, were the eyes of the Lord toward Jesus... Did the Lord hear the cry of Jesus? Yes. So we can think back to Jesus in the garden and, and Jesus crying out to the Lord and the Lord hearing the cry of Jesus, sending His angels to minister to Jesus in that moment. But then look at verse 16, everybody. Here's the plot twist. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. You see, Jesus took upon Himself, verse 16. He became the evil one. He became, when Jesus went to the cross, Jesus became sin. 
2 Corinthians 5. Jesus became the curse, Galatians 3. Jesus became the one to whom the Father turned his face away. The man Jesus, human Jesus on the cross, bearing all of the guilt and shame of all of the sins by all of the people for all of human history, was his, the Father's face was turned away and he was cut off from the land of the living. He was cut off from his people. He was cut off from his family. He was cut off from history in that moment. Praise God, it doesn't end with verse 16. Verse 17, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Praise God Jesus did not stop crying out on the cross, did he? Praise God that my God, my God, why have you forsaken me was not the final cry of Jesus, was it? There were other cries. There was the cry of, into your hands I commit my spirit. The cry of faith. The cry of dereliction, my God, my God. The cry of faith. The righteous cry of I still trust God. And verse 17, was Jesus heard? Was he delivered out of all of his troubles? Yes, that Sunday morning, he was delivered out of all of his troubles, wasn't he? He was raised from the dead. Sin no more. He's not looked on as sin. He's not looked on as the curse. He has been vindicated, hasn't he? He is declared to be the righteous one. And so now, Verse 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. The Lord is near to Jesus. Jesus is back in his place of nearness, isn't he? Seated where? Next to the Father. Glorified and seated in nearness next to God Almighty. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted one, Jesus, the crushed one, Jesus, he is near to God. Why? Look at verse 20. Everybody look at verse 20. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. That's strange. That's a strange thing to say. This goes back to the Passover. Remember I said this is littered with Exodus. In Exodus, 12, when God says, get out of the land, they had to do something. Do you remember? Death is coming. To survive death, you have to kill a lamb. You have to take the blood of the lamb, and you have to put it on the doorpost. You guys remember? And that lamb had to be perfect without spot, and they were told specifically, do not break the bones of the Passover lamb. Don't break the, not, not one of his bones should be broken. And so now David throws that in here, and we're kind of like, what does that mean? Did David never have a cast, <laughs> right? Did he never break a leg? I mean, maybe not. I don't, I don't know, maybe. But we know it means more than that. Because in John 19, when John, when John is talking about the crucifixion of Christ, he says that, the soldiers, the Roman soldiers would break the legs of the crucifixion victims. In breaking the legs, 
the victim can no longer push themselves up for breath. With broken legs, they will suffocate and die. But do you remember the story? When the soldier gets to Jesus, he realizes Jesus is already dead. He pierces his side, and not a bone of him was broken. You see, Jesus is our Passover lamb. Jesus is our sacrifice. Jesus is our new covenant mediator. He's our David. He's our righteous one. He's the king. He's the anointed one. If you are in him, you will be delivered. Verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Do you need a deliverer this morning? God is your deliverer. Jesus Christ is our deliverer. Jesus Christ was delivered. Jesus Christ can deliver you. What's weighing you down? What has you in bondage? What's got you shackled today? Jesus Christ wants to deliver you. Please don't let your pride get in the way. I'll save myself. I don't need God. We have been delivered, Christian. If you're in Christ this morning, you have been delivered from the power of sin, and one day you will be delivered from the presence of sin. Praise God. Verse 21, affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. Do you need justice this morning? Have you been hurt? Have you been wrongly accused? Have you had evil done against you by someone? Have you been hurt or has evil been done against you and that person seems to have gotten away with it? God is your avenger this morning. Do you need justice? God is your avenger. This is good news. The wicked will be slain. Affliction will slay the wicked those who hate the righteous will be condemned. Listen to me. I, I know that sounds harsh. Oh, we don't want this God. We don't want a God of judgment. Yes, you do. You don't want a criminal in your house. Come on, let's just be honest. You don't want an abuser in your, in your home with your children, do you? We want justice. We need justice. It is right and good to want justice. And those of you that have been hurt by others, it is right and good for you to want justice to come upon those people. The gospel is a gospel of justice. God in His sovereignty will condemn those who hate the righteous one, Jesus, and He will let their own affliction slay them. Evil will slay the wicked. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Do you need your guilt canceled? You see, here's the problem with this, though. Here's the problem with everything I just said. The problem is that every single one of us is the wicked, right? Probably every single one of, one of us in this room have had wickedness done to us. And every single one of us in this room have done wickedness to someone else. Because that's the loop we're in. 
And so this morning, do you need your guilt canceled? Verse 22, the Lord redeems the life of His servants. None of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. The Lord redeems. You see, on that night when they fled Egypt, God said, from now on, you're killing this lamb, right? Remember this Passover lamb? This isn't a one and done. He said, from now on, this lamb represents your firstborn. If you don't kill the lamb, you guys remember the story? If you don't kill the lamb, what happens that night? The firstborn son dies. Remember? That's because the firstborn son represents everybody. He's the representative of the family. So God says to Moses, tell the people this, from now on, they need to, they need to redeem every firstborn son with a lamb. So from then on, in, Jew, in Jewish history, all throughout the Old Testament, every firstborn son, they would sacrifice a lamb in the place of that son, just like Abraham and Isaac. Don't kill your son, Abraham. Kill the, kill the lamb. Kill the ram. Every son would be redeemed, paid for, the guilt of the family satisfied by the redeemed son. Are you tracking with me? Remember, even Jesus Himself was redeemed. Mom and dad took Him to the temple and paid two birds. They couldn't afford a lamb. They paid two birds to redeem their son. In other words, you get to keep baby Jesus at home with you instead of sacrificing Him to the Lord. In the great plot twist, on the cross, God did not redeem His son that day, did He? In fact, His Son was the redemption. His Son was the Lamb. Jesus became the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't say, where's my Lamb? Where's my Lamb? He didn't do an Isaac. I see the, I see the, I see the wood. I see the fire. Where's the Lamb? Jesus knew who the Lamb was that day, didn't He? I give my life. I give my life. Do you need a shelter this morning? Do you need a refuge? God is our refuge. God is our deliverer. God is our avenger. God is our redeemer. God is our refuge. The end of verse 22, none of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. None of those. He delivers us into the refuge of Christ. Christ is our fortress. Christ is our solitude. Christ is our house. Christ is, a, is our safe place. When we are in Him, we are in refuge. Let's look at it from Romans 7. Romans 7, up here on the screen. Paul says this, Wretched man that I am. He's crying out, just like Psalm 34. He's crying out, Who will deliver me from this body of death? Where's my deliverance? He's talking about his sin. Do you remember the passage? He's talking about his sin. I'm a, I covet. Everything I don't want to do, I do. Everything I want to do, I don't do. Can you relate? <laughs> yeah. That, you're, you're, Brady, that was my Saturday night, right? Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
So then I serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And then he says this, chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no what? Condemnation. Just like Psalm 34, all who take refuge in Him will never be condemned. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He is our refuge. He is our fortress, saving us from condemnation. Whew. Let that soak in. Can we, can we even begin to grasp the concept of no condemnation? You're conde- let's be honest. You're condemned everywhere else in your life. Right? You're going to go to work tomorrow and be condemned. You're going to fly past that speed camera and be condemned. <laughs> right? You're not going to get the gift you want. You're not going to get the loves and hugs and kisses, moms, from your kids today, and you're going to feel condemned. Where did I go wrong? Why, why don't my children love me? We condemn our spouses. We condemn our parents. We condemn our pastors. Our past, the pastors condemn the church. Everywhere we turn, we're being condemned, except with Jesus. Except with Jesus. He's the one, he's the one, he's the one, he's the one, he's one person in your life that's looking at you and going, you're good, you're good. Yep, praise God, hallelujah. <laughs> Look at this from Jude. Not only are we in refuge now, we're in refuge, we will be in refuge. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. Now, listen, this is even, this is more. Understand that this is more. Not condemned is huge, but blameless. See, not condemned still means, you know, you could be guilty. I'm just, I'm just cutting you some slack. But blameless is perfection. This is the refuge that Christ offers us this morning. Let me ask you this morning, Are you trusting in the cross of Christ as your deliverance, your justice, your redemption, your refuge? If I asked you, what will deliver you today? What what will bring you justice today? What will redeem you today? What What will pay off all of your guilt? What will make you perfect today? What would your answer be? See, if your answer is anything less than Jesus Christ and what He's done on the cross, I'm, I'm telling you, it will let you down. It will not do these things for you. It will fail you. Only the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Lamb who took our place, became our sin, became our our guilt became our curse. Only His work on the cross can be all of these things for you and more. And more. You see, this is hope. This is hope. 
If David knew he was anointed and David knew he was going to be king, even though the world is collapsing around him, what does that do to his heart? If, if you know you're justified, if you know you're saved, if you know there's no condemnation, if you know every guilt is gone, and you know you're going to be perfected and glorified and sitting on a throne, what can that do to your heart? How can that change your, how can your past and your future change your present? How can you live in this hope? So that's number two. What does living in the hope of this deliverance look like? And as promised, let's go back to the beginning of the psalm. If I, if this is really what I'm trusting in, and if I really have this hope, Brady, you're saying I have that kind of hope. Yeah, I'm saying that. Okay, if I really have that kind of hope, what's that going to look like? What's it going to sound like? First of all, it looks like praising God. Look at verses 1 through 3. I'm going to bless the Lord at all times. I'm going to bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Blessing the Lord all the time. Verse 3, with all the people. Come, let us exalt His name together. All the people, and it's all about God. All the time, all the people, all about God. Church, right? That's church. Listen, church. Listen, Grace Baptist Church. We will continue to meet and gather and invite each other to come in and bless the Lord and magnify the Lord and glorify the Lord until He takes us up to heaven to do it there. That's what we're, go that's what we're going to do. Praise is best done together. Do you understand the psychology of this? This is why we gather, one of the reasons, there's lots of reasons to gather, but we gather to praise the Lord together because praise does, have you ever been watching like a sporting event, your favorite team, you're watching your favorite team alone, you're just alone on the couch, you're watching your team and they win, and you're kind of like, eh. You watch that same game where they win, and you got 10 of your best friends in the room, what's everybody doing? Jumping up, high-fiving, throwing the chips, wow right? Everybody's in their gear. Everybody's got their jerseys on. Why? Because when we praise together, it, it does something. It makes it mean more. It changes us more. Number two, we're going to seek God. If you got this kind of hope, if you got this kind of hope, my past I'm justified. My future, I'm glorified. If I'm living in that kind of hope, I'm going to seek the Lord. Verse 4, I sought the Lord. But wait, but wait. Go, go back to verse 18 with me real quick. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, isn't He? And saves the crushed in spirit. Listen, I don't want you to read verse 4, I sought the Lord. This is how we read it. This is how everybody reads it and interprets it. I've been so bad this week. 
I've sinned so much. I'm so far from God. God is so far away from me. I better see if I can find the Lord. I better seek the Lord. Where's the Lord? Are you, Lord, where did you go, Lord? Because I've been such a basket case this week. Clearly, the Lord is not near me. It's not what he's saying. Verse 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and the crushed in spirit. Do you know who that's describing? The brokenhearted is the person who just doesn't care anymore, and the crushed in spirit is the person who just can't get off, their, off, off, off the bed and do anything. You ever been there? We think that the more we sin and the more we fail God and the more we mess up, that God is somehow drifting from us. But the Scripture shows us over and over again that when we are crushed and brokenhearted, that is a magnet for Jesus. That's when He's closest, if we can say that. That's when He's with us the most. That's when He's there wrapping His arms around us saying, I am near to you. So now, verse 4, I sought the Lord. The word sought there doesn't mean I'm searching for something lost. It's the idea of entering into the presence of a king seeking his help. I, saw, I know where he is. He's not lost. Listen, listen, y'all, God's not lost. You don't have to look for lost Jesus. I'll tell you where he is. He's on your heart. He's on the throne of your heart. Just, just go. Just go. Just go but I'm brokenhearted and crushed. Good. You're in a perfect spot. That's who He loves. That's who He loves the most. That's who He wants to hear from the most. That's, that's His jam. That's, that's what He does. Seek the Lord. Number three, experience the goodness of God. Verse eight, taste and see that the Lord is good. David literally tasted the bread in the tabernacle. Maybe that's what he was thinking of when he wrote the words. The priest handed me bread and I ate it. I tasted the goodness of God. It's interesting. Eve in the garden, she flipped this, didn't she? Eve saw and then tasted. We're told to taste and then we'll see. Hmm, that's interesting, isn't it? Taste it. Try it. You ever do that with your kids? I don't like, I don't like green beans. Just taste it. Just try the green beans. There's butter on them. <laughs> Lots of butter. Bacon. There's little bacon in there. Whew. Taste it. Taste and see that green beans are good. No, they're not. Let's be honest. But God is, God is good. See, when we taste, when we try out the Lord, when we put Him to the test, so to speak, when we, when we say, okay, let's try, I'm going to try God, I'm going to try it, I'm going to try you, I'm going to try it out, I'm going to try it. I'm, I'm crushed and I'm brokenhearted and I don't feel like getting up and going to church, but I'm going to try it. And then what happens? Somehow you see the goodness of God, don't you? God, this, 
that person, there's no way, there's no way, there's no way. And I don't want the hassle, and I need to set boundaries, and all of that good stuff. No, just, just try it. <laughs> just try. Send the email. Reach out. Taste and see. Just taste and see. The Lord is good. God, this sex ethic of yours, this Christian sex ethic, this whole, my sexuality has to glorify you. That's not, I, I can see, I can see that the other way, the world's way is better. So I want to taste that. And God say, no, just taste and see my way. Is it harder? Yes. Will it make you better? Yes. Will it make you more loving? Yes. Will it make you less selfish? Yes. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Have you experienced the goodness of God? Look, we're Baptists, let's be honest. We're not all about jumping around and experientialism. We're pretty reserved, right? But have you experienced, that's what he's saying, have you experienced the goodness of God? <laughs> See, if I said, do you know that God is good, like intellectually? Is it in your brain that God is good? Sure, I can declare the goodness of God. But here's the question, have you tasted the goodness of God? Taste is an interesting word, because I know some of you are like, I don't feel that God is good. Listen, Listen to me. Here's how you taste the goodness of God. You know, we do, we do something in here once a month where we pass out a little cracker and a little juicy wine thing. Why do we do that? Why did Jesus say, this is something I want you to do forever? Why did He do that? Because He wants us in that moment, He wants us to be reminded that the way to taste and see that the Lord is good is to taste Him, to taste Jesus, to taste the cross, to taste His body and His blood. John 6, John 6, Jesus said, whoever feeds on me will live forever and they will be raised up on the last day. See, when we take communion, we're being reminded that spiritually we feast on Christ. He sustains us. His cross sustains us. His cross is my nourishment. Listen, that's why I said we don't, we, you do not, Christian, you do not need any more spiritual experiences than you've already had through the cross of Christ. Now, God might give you some. Praise God. <laughs> Yay. But all you need, all you need to eat, all you need to taste is the cross of Jesus Christ. Keep feasting. Keep feasting on what Jesus has done for you in His sacrificial life and death. Brady, I've been praying for this for, for years. I've been praying for this, and God's not, God doesn't answer. This psalm is a lie. Cry out to God. I've been crying out to God for 10 years, and God's not doing it. And you know what my response is? Are you asking God for something beyond what He has already done in you through the indwelling Christ? And can that be enough? 
Or are you judging God based on the list you've given him that he's answering or not answering? Is the cross enough? Is union with Christ enough? Is that your anointing? And is that your enthronement? And all of this craziness happening here, we don't know. <laughs> we might be in a cave. We might, be, we might be drooling off our beard, acting nuts. We don't know. Is Christ enough? Number four, fearing God. Fear, verse 9, oh, fear the Lord, you His saints. Fear the Lord. We all fear something. I don't. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. You respect something. Your life is guided by something. There's some set of principles that's guiding you. There's some fear of man that guides you. Most of us are driven by the fear of man, aren't we? What will they think about me? This sermon's going long. It's already after 12 o'clock. What emails am I going to get? <laughs> oh no, we made this decision. Are people going to love it or are they going to hate it? Fear of man. Fear of man drives us. Isn't it much better to fear the one and only God who can remove all other fears from your life? I'd rather fear Him. Isn't it better to fear the one that would die for you, that would give his life for you, that would be your deliverer and your avenger and your redeemer and your refuge? Isn't it better to fear him? I think so. And then number five, living in this spot between my anointing, my justification, and my enthronement, living in the hope of this deliverance, how do I live? How do I live? I've tasted that the Lord is good. I fear the Lord. What do I do? I do good. I do good. Verse 10, the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Verse 13, Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Fourteen, turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. You know, David, if you've ever tracked with that story, because he lived in this promise, because he lived in this refuge of hope, there was this one time he was hiding in a cave, remember? And Saul, the very guy who's trying to kill him, comes in. Saul sits down to kind of do his thing. And David sneaks up. And he stabs him in the back. And he says, thank you, Lord, for my deliverance. I have slain my enemies. Is that what happened? No. He cut off his robe when he, when he snuck in, cut off the robe, right? And then later when they were apart, he stood up on the hill and said, Saul, I could have killed you, man. I could have killed you. You see what I'm saying? David did good. He did good. 
He didn't, he didn't go around wiping out his enemies. He, didn't, he trusted the Lord, and he did good. Verse 10, you lack no good thing, Christian. Look, I know that's the battle right there, because most of us don't believe verse 10. Brady, you don't know my family. You don't know my financial situation. You don't know my boss. You don't know that my car's broken down. You don't know that I got the cancer. You don't know this. You don't know that. You lack no good thing. Look, as Christians, as God-fearers, as those who have tasted the cross, we have to believe, listen to me, we have to believe that everything God allows in our life is for the good. We lack no good thing, which means everything we have is good, even when it's not. It's for the good. And when we know that we lack no good thing, and we know in our hearts we lack no good thing, we have all the love we need, all the acceptance we need, all the power we need. And when we know that, when you know that you have everything you need, what do, when, listen, I said it before, I'll say it again. When you have nothing to gain and nothing to lose, how do you live your life? You give it all away. You got nothing to gain with Christ. Is there anything for you to gain in Christ? It's not a trick question. Is, Christian, is there anything more for you to gain in Christ? No. There's nothing left to get. You have it all. Christian, can you lose anything that you have in Christ? No. Okay, so if you have everything and you can't lose it, and there's nothing to gain, how do you live your life? What, what do you do with all of your stuff? What do you do with all of your love? What do you do with all of your kindness? What do you do with all your energy? What do you do? You give it away. You give it away. You do good. You turn from evil, and you do good. Praise God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Live. Let's live in this space. Live in the hope of deliverance. Let's pray. Jesus. You are our greatest good. God, you are good. Your completeness, your fullness, and even the hard things, even the difficult things, even the Saul's of our life, even the Abimelech's of our life, the Goliath's of our life, even those bad things, God, they are not keeping us from your goodness. We're living in caves, we're living in the wilderness. All of our dreams and hopes have not been realized on this side of heaven, but we're living in your goodness. Jesus, you've given us everything. All that is yours is ours. If you have been delivered, then we will be delivered too. If you have been delivered, then we will be delivered too. God, I lift up anybody here this morning that's not in the fortress of your son, that's not living in the life of Jesus, that's still trying to be their own deliverer, their own justice their own avenger, their own redemption, maybe, maybe their own refuge. God, would you show them that this is a lost cause? This is wasted time. May they turn to you. May they turn to you even now and say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need your deliverance. I need your refuge. I need you to wipe out my sins. I need every spiritual blessing. I need all the love. I need it. 
I want it, I receive it. And for those of us, God, that are living in that place, may we walk out of here this morning and spend wisely. May we give and do good, seek peace and pursue it. By your strength, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.